This is Kyron K2T. Yo, this is Toby Colossus. Hey, this is Damien Enoch. And you are listening to the Think Breaks Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It is episode one of a brand new season. It's season two. Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping for some cheering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's go. Um, so a couple of things before we get into the main show. That brand new jingle you just heard, that was by a member of our community, Mr. Kipsy. So shout mm-hmm. out to Kipsy for that. But yeah, with a new season comes new content, new bonus content. But it's still going to be the same vibes, even though there's only three of us this time. It's me, it's Toby, Yo. and it's Damien. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's all we need. Yes. Damien, yes. Yes. Well, I, you're doing like a pointing thing. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was pointing at you. <laughs> but yeah, so there's only three of us. So as you know, Jack has stepped down as a host, but he is still with us anyway. He's like a spirit. Think about it that way. Like he's watching. He's not dead. Um, yeah, well, like he's like a, you know, take it at face value. Yeah. But as well, um, it does mean that we've also moved on to bigger things as well. So um, you can now become a patron if you go to patreon.com slash thinkbreaks. If you want to support the show a bit further, you can. We've got a lot of bonus content, which I'll mention at the end of the show. Um, And you can also, if you do enjoy our episodes, again, I'll mention it again at the end of the show. But we now have a place where you can review us over on Podchaser. More links to follow at the end of the show. And it's important to leave feedback too, because we, I mean, this is sort of a new thing we're doing with the Patreon, the website, the whole nine yards. So if leaving feedback would be important so we can actually continue to improve the website or anything, you know, ideas. Yeah. But yeah, more details on that at the end of the show. But we actually do have someone with us in the room today and he's come from a certain dojo. So Henry, could you please introduce yourself? Hey guys, uh, I'm Henry, but better known in the drum and bass community as Hex. Uh, I'm a DJ and producer, and I run the DMB Dojo website. Hey, it's good Welcome, to have you brother. on. Woo! Yeah, thanks for having me. He guys. knows the art of kung fu DMB. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, as he said, and as we mentioned, he is indeed the leader of DMB Dojo, um, mm-hmm. who have been active for eight years as of two weeks ago. Is that right? That is right, yeah. Eighth yeah. birthday. Not long eight already. Years. Eight years, I can't believe it. I still remember like early days when I first started and DMB Dojo was still like a big name and one that everyone looked to and it's still nice to see it still be. Still rocking, man. Still going strong. It's great. Yeah, almost like at the forefront. It's crazy to watch the past, like when you really think about it. Eight years. That's it, exactly. Yeah, time. Yeah, man, it's it's been a been a while. Like it's uh, yeah, it feels like only yesterday to use a cliche that I was like setting it up mm. and you know mm-hmm. hassling hassling labels to put me on promo lists. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a fair point though. So why did you start? Because obviously, there's I think with like any musical industry, not just drum and bass, there's obviously you can go through the. You can either start by producing music or DJing, blogs or podcasts right. or whatever. What made you, what drew you to the blog format? Uh, so I already had like um, kind of a, a bit of a passion for the music going. Like um, I got into drum and bass in maybe like 2000, 
2008, 2009, um, started DJing, um, just like buying records, mixing stuff in my bedroom. Um, and it was a couple of years after that, uh, a guy at my work actually was running a blog, um, like just about electronic music in general. Um, and he was like, oh, do you want to write some articles for it? And I was like, yeah, cool. Because um, I'd done some um, some writing for the union paper when I was at university and I would quite enjoyed that, like reviewing music, reviewing movies, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, like I started writing for his blog. And then it, he was kind of getting too busy with other things and it got to the point where um, I was the only person really writing for it. And he said, oh, like, I, you know, I've kind of lost lost the, the energy for this. Do you want to take it over? And I thought about it and I was like, well... If I'm gonna if I'm gonna do a blog, I I probably want to like do it my way rather than taking over something that somebody's already started. So I I politely declined, and I I then went right. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna set up DMB Dojo. So yeah, that's where it comes from. You you mentioned uh, like really quickly that you were already reviewing things. Is this something like you know like just writing in general articles, blogging? Is that something that you've just always been doing? Um, I guess I've always enjoyed it. Yeah, I think um, the stuff for the union newspaper in university was the first time that I'd probably like mm-hmm. written stuff for other people to read. Um, like, but yeah, that was that was a nice experience of like just like getting CDs to review. I got to go to right. like the cinema and you know review films, which which is a weird experience, incidentally, because you go to the cinema at like eleven a.m. for a press showing, and there's like three people in the room. <laughs> yeah, 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 dude. I every Tuesday before this lockdown shit, I used to go to movies every Tuesday. It was like five bucks on Tuesday, catch like two movies. And I would do it at 11 a.m. because I had nothing to do on that day. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to catch a movie pretty early. That's crazy, man. I th- I didn't realize they were held so early. I thought it'd be like a late night event. No, the press showings are um, like early, early days on a weekday because uh, it's like if they did it on Saturday night, they'd be taking money Ooh, away from right. people who would pay right, for it. Right, right. Fair point, fair point. Right. Because I guess around that time, everyone would be at work or school or whatever, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I have to ask with DMB Dojo because you've had the identity since, you know, eight years ago, and it's been quite a strong identity. Why DMB Dojo? Like, what's the sentiment behind that name? Um, I guess I don't think I overthought it too much. To be honest, it was like I knew it was going to be about drum and bass, and it's nice to have a name with a little bit of alliteration to it. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, like. I've always been interested in Japanese culture, like, you know, Japanese films, Japanese music, that kind of stuff. Like, so it just, yeah, it just seemed like quite a nice fit. Like, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't trying to read anything too deep into it. Like I, in some ways the content of the site has kind of started to feel like a fit for the name because over the years I focused it more on trying to give a boost to people who are like up and coming rather than spending too much time covering people who are kind of like big in the scene already so from that point of view like the idea of a dojo as a school like it kind of fits the content quite nicely yeah I like that that's a dude that's awesome but that's a happy accident. I can't claim that that was like the big plan. I mean, like, <laughs> damn hell of a happy accident. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah that's no, pretty it, awesome, man. 
yeah, it fits together pretty nicely. Um, and it's it's one of the things that keeps me doing it really because like I feel like you know your your UKFs and your Skank and Base and all that kind of stuff like they have the bigger players pretty well covered. Yeah. Like so for all that I like you know I'll I'll cover any kind of music in the scene that I'm enjoying. But like yeah, I kind of view a big part of it as giving a leg up to people who like aren't going to get the attention of the bigger channels. That's really cool, you man. It, it's. It's also a noble thing because usually a, some, I would imagine that a lot of smaller artists, they get covered by quite a few different smaller uh, publications, even bigger publications. And that's what's really getting the rounds going, you know, the uh, like, oh, I know who of that person now. I've seen a few articles of that person, whether it's by quite a few small, uh, small, you know, promotionals or small bloggers. It's still it all adds up. Mm. And it's because of those small bloggers. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, and, and small things make a difference, especially when you're starting out. It's like, you know, I mean, people will send me a track and even if I don't write an article about it, like even just giving it a repost or giving it a share mm -hmm. on the socials, yeah. like, you know, people will see their numbers tick up ever so slightly. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good feeling when you're first starting It goes starting a long out. way. Yeah, it's all yeah. about those little boosts of motivation in it, really. And that's what you want to give to these kind of up and coming artists. That's it. I mean, I remember like when I released my first ever single and um, I remember like the DMB Dojo notification of they've just reposted. I was like, oh, my God, DMB Dojo reposted it. <laughs> and, <laughs> e and I feel like even for other people whose first singles or a track they made when they were going through a hard time, if they see DMB Dojo has reposted this or has premiered this or like this channel, that channel. It just gives them that motivation to make the next track even better so that they get that continued support from every single blog that they're connected with. And with you, Henry, I guess, because um, I understand you've got quite a few connections to like other labels. I feel like I've seen you promote Metalheads bits. Uh, I think I've seen 1985 at one point and so on. So I also imagine those people who you're quite connected to on like the higher levels probably see these smaller names. And in a sense, yeah. it, almost comes, it almost ends up being like a talent scout. Yeah, I, d I don't know how much attention like the bigger labels play to the blogs and how much they just kind of uh, let people come to them. Because especially now with the Internet, like, you know, you mm. can look up the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the demo address of Dispatch or Metalheads or whoever mm. and just fire tracks to them. So I don't know if they really need to go scouting in the same way. Um, I think it varies a lot from label to label as well. Like, you know, some of the labels... I have quite a business-like relationship with, they send me promo, you know, I cover it or not, like, you know, and there isn't any particular mm. connection. Some of the other labels, both big and small, like take a more personal approach to it. Like, um, and yeah, like I, I, I couldn't tell you whether um, any of them sort of like, yeah, use, use blog platforms as a way to find music. Um, I know there are artists going the other way around. There are artists who have sent stuff to me and I've said, this is good. You should try and get it signed. And then they've said, mm. oh, where should I look? And I've always tried to like pass on bits and pieces. Like, um, I think at least one person has ended up on detached through that route. Like, yep. Um, yep. Shout out cool. Liver Cheese. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big up to Mark. But I think that's actually really good for those artists who, um, how do I say it? Because I think there are quite a few artists, especially like the people who are just getting started, who don't really know, um, like all these small labels that are like stepping stones to the bigger labels, because it's quite unlikely that your first track is going to get signed to 
hospital, metalheads, ram, etc. Unless you've made that absolute banger. But it's quite good that there are these outlets, especially like yourself, and you say you pass these tracks on to other labels. And um, I feel like that's a great way for, I think more so than finding the labels, finding the blogs almost ends up being a better approach for some of these artists. It's all about funneling the right, it, it's about funneling using the right tunnels, you know, funneling data to the right people, if, mm. if that makes sense at all. Like giving your music to the right people could be, it could start off at the bottom and then somehow it funnels all the way to the top or something, you know? Yeah. If it hits the right pairs of ears. Yeah, it's... Exactly. Mm. And yeah, I mean, in terms of, I think, making progress within the scene, my experience certainly is that it's all about personal connections. Mm, like, it. you know, you can spam out music to all sorts of places, like, and you might get some luck with that. But like, yeah, the the sort of relationships I've developed in terms of releasing my own music, it's definitely been much more about like actually chatting to people and having a bit more of a personal connection and, and kind of like knowing them and what they're looking for like you know rather than just throwing the net wide and sending an awful lot of impersonal emails mm, or whatever to people it. like um i think yeah and and that that's something that i've seen echoed by other people who do other things in the scene like you know people uh who started out putting on parties and then became producers and then had that mm. network of contacts with those labels or whatever like those kind of personal connections are really invaluable so yeah if i had a top tip for for anyone looking to 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 kind of get their name out there then yeah it's that it's that personal yeah, touch that's all do yourself to rather than just here's a tune what do you think that's it yeah that's probably going to take it's going to take you a like a long way further than just giving somebody a tune mm. okay check this out bro is i think uh, you know the next time you get an email from them you just you know you kind of light up a bit because you're like oh it's that guy i wonder how they're doing sort of thing mm. um yeah, we've actually got um, a patron question that um, is linked to the blog and so on, or more the blogging industry as a whole. Um, it comes from Jack, who says, do you feel that there is a distinct lack of journalism or editorial features in the drum and bass scene? We obviously have the big guys like yourself, UKF, Data Transmission, etc., etc. But do you feel we could do with more outside of just uploading music? Uh, so I guess what Jack's getting at here is like, do we need more criticism as opposed to just that's promotion? It. I think that's what he means. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to yeah. interpret it as like a better question. Um, yeah, like I think it's a tough one, right? Like I think, you know, when you come to like really high level kind of like pop music reviews in the guardian or whatever like i think there's an important place there for stuff to be shot down as well as mm. picked up like you know i think if if like calvin harris puts out an abysmal record then that should go in the paper right like that's a public interest okay. thing and i think when you're at that level like you should be thick-skinned enough to take negative mm. criticism i think when you're like the smaller the artists get like the more dubious that becomes it's like what purpose is there in like ragging on a small time producer for having put something out that you don't really feel like you know you're you're just burning that person for no real like that i don't think there's much public interest mm. in that so from my point of view i took the decision really really early on with dojo that uh 
if, if I didn't like something, I just wasn't going to cover it. It wasn't going to be like, I'm going to post about how rubbish this is. Like, there's so much good music out there and so much music that I do like that I prefer to focus on, like, yeah, bigging up the stuff that I enjoy rather than hating on the stuff that I don't. Um, I guess the difficulty becomes, like, where do you draw that line of, like, oh, this is big enough to <laughs> big enough to slate? Mm, like, you know? I know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that, not that it needs to be about slating things, I guess, but, like... Um, yeah, you know, at what point does negative criticism become a bit more legit? Like, um, bro, that is an amazing point. I feel like you're totally right. Nobody wants to hear somebody rag on a smaller artist that just nobody knows about. They'd rather hear praise of the smaller artist when it's due. So, however long that takes to produce a good single song or album, and it's funny because we'd we'd rather hear, okay, did the big artist make a shitty album? But that's what I think that's the point that Jack's getting at here. It's more not exactly like hating on things, but like let's say, I don't know, yeah. like one of us puts out an album and it's I think he's trying to get more at the idea of it was having an article that has something like, Oh, this album's good, but I don't think it hits um mm-hmm. some of the no- I don't think it hits the level that the previous album did, for example, as opposed to straight up. More like an honest sort of balanced argument sort of thing. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like it, it depends on the kind of content that you're mm. trying to produce. So when I write reviews, I won't put out negative yeah. reviews, but I will try and put out balanced reviews. Like I'll particularly try and say like, look, if you, you know, if I'm reviewing something that's like straight up kind of traditional drum and bass rollers, then I'm, I'm probably going to put in a caveat saying like, oh, you know, if you're looking for, like, edgy, exciting, like, experimental stuff, then this probably isn't going to hit that spot. But, like, if you want, like, just a really solid two-step roller, then this is going to hit that mark, right? So, like, I think there's space for for that kind of, like, critical analysis and for for some measure of, like, um, you know... uh, yeah not just like woo there's this new track it's amazing yeah. like you know I, I think yeah there's there's definitely a line to be drawn between piece, pieces that are kind of solely promotional effectively and things that are a bit more balanced um it's i mean it's, it's something that the scene has always kind of struggled with so like uh back in the day when print magazines were a thing for anyone old enough to remember that like you had magazines like uh k-mag and stuff like that and and they kind of struggled with that sort of thing like you know an awful lot of their content was on the side of bigging Mm. stuff up Mm. um and then you know if they you know they had these kind of quandaries where it's like they'd run a three-page feature on some big new act and then like the next month the single would get reviewed and it'd be like one paragraph at the bottom of some page where they're like actually (laughs) do you think part of the problem could be that maybe like the drum and bass audience aren't particularly interested for some reason and like they're only interested in the music kind of deal that's why promotional things are like the best things to send out are just promos and instead of reviews and feedback and all that like people i think it's i think it's a combo right like i think it's partly like if you if you want to look for negative right. feedback then you only have to go to the youtube mm, comments yeah there's already right. such a big platform for just negativity in, <laughs> in all music right. scenes when it comes to youtube for sure <laughs> yeah there's there's plenty of plenty of hatred washing around if you want to go and try and find the negative views uh, i mean i think the other thing that gets in the way of a lot of it is the commercial aspect so um like 
I don't do DMB Dojo for money. Mm-hmm. I just do it for fun. But like platforms like UKF are absolutely like a money making yeah. enterprise, at least as far as I know. I don't think that's a passion project. So at that point, it's like you can't publish too many overtly negative reviews if the same labels are like paying your way through advertising mm. costs. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this uneasy balance of like, if I hate on this, are they going to stop sending me music? Are they going to stop paying for ads Man, on the it, site? It's a real like, problem too. It's like a catch-22 because it's, some people really want to be honest, but the, then they think in the back of their head, so if I give this a bad review, this label's never going to send me anything again. That's it. You know, mm. it's, it's a weird yeah. catch-22 and it's a shame because it happens a lot in the video game industry, happens a ton in the movie industry, and there's absolutely no doubt that it happens in the music industry. I think it even happens to um, to us as like artists without even blogs because you know a lot of us receive promos from labels like, well, oh, play this in your sets. And say there's something that isn't quite hitting the spot for you, you're not, I think there's a thing in the back of your mind that's like, no, I can't give this a four out of 10 and say not really for me. You'd rather just right. be like, yeah, six out of ten, nice, or just ignore it, because otherwise right. they'll you think, oh, they'll they're gonna see that four out of ten and cut me off. Yeah, it's something that we were speaking to Talomic Elliot about, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's like, it. Yeah, where we get like, especially within D and B, and I think all kind of music where it's not at a super super commercial level, there's always this kind of aspect of you don't want to trod on too many people's toes, and you want to keep those super tight close connections mm. by not you know kind of souring the milk so to speak that's it i think there's an element to it as well which is about kindness on the yeah. promo front right like so even if the label's sending it out chances are the artist is going to read that yeah. the artist whether you like the track or not the artist's going to like it they must mm. believe in it to mm. be putting it out so seeing you kind of like four out of ten this is crap like you know that's not going to make that person feel terribly yeah. good about themselves like so it's like you know do, do you need to do that like and i think most people within within the scene have kind of adopted a you know a lot of these plumber platforms have like a not interested button which is just a, a way of saying like this isn't for me without needing to get more specific yeah. than that so i think mostly people gauge it as like oh if 50 people said they liked it then that's better than the one that only 25 people said they that's liked it. it like it's not about how positive the comments are it's almost about like how many comments you get because if they're not commenting that's probably just a not for me that's that's, uh that's interesting i didn't know that at all it seems like a good way to kind of you know cool the flames at certain points Mm. you know rather than just having a star review like one out of five two out of five you have an interested slightly interested not interested it seems like a more polite way of reviewing something I think the not interested button sort of automatically defaults your rating to like five out of ten or something like that or like the exact midpoint that's well, how I it works that, for us when we do it yeah it would be nice if there would maybe be a separation of like the actual star review and yeah. uh, interested kind of interested not interested although so, because some people do like like the tougher love like the oh shit a one out of five oh fuck man i mean some people like that some people do yeah yeah. I mean, the way it works for us and we use Promo Cloud is that you've got your rating out of 10 and then you get another section that says, will you be supporting these tracks? And you either, right. put, yes or, you either put yes or no. Um, and then after, you know, you can leave your comments and there's a submit feedback button, which will just be, you know, whatever personal rating you give. Or there's a separate not for me, which is the default if you don't enjoy it. And uh, we also get this um, 
like a it's usually like a little pdf that we just send to the artist so they can just check out the feedback and it'll have the star rating what their favorite track was whether it was for them and yeah i think for a lot of the artists on like on detached for example they like seeing that because it sort of gauges where their their skills are at in a sense with like the project they've made it can be interesting as well like you know because as an artist like you write two three four five tracks Mm. or whatever and you might have your own favorites but you're really close to it so it's interesting to put that out into the world and then get some picture of like what tracks appeal to people because it's not always sometimes you write some music and you think like oh this is the track everyone's going to go for and then it it doesn't pan out that way so it's interesting to 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 get that yeah most of the time it'll never pan out that way too it's like rare Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like it's all, just, it's all subjective music, isn't it? Really? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's just everyone's different. I can't. I can't think of the number of times we've had a release, and me in, in the back of my head thinking, I have a feeling this one's going to be the favorite, and it ends up being right. the least favorite. But I'm like, oh, okay, never mm. mind. <laughs> I get you. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's a certain point where you've got a kind of like, obviously, you, oh, it's a hard one to put. Really, you've got to take the ratings and obviously accept them in different ways. You know. Mm. <laughs> Like, like the ratings you receive aren't necessarily the be all and end all of this is a bad release or this is a good release, you know? That's it, exactly. Because just it be- might just be the people that have received it. It's just not their cup of tea, you know? It doesn't mean yeah. that there isn't a group of people out there that like that kind of vibe. Mm, I guess it's exactly. about trying to read and decipher between it all, you know? <laughs> I think the most of those kind of promo feedbacks do really is give you an idea of what track to push to which outlet if you tend to push after mm, the promos yeah um or in another way if you're if you've got a project that's like an ex- like quite a long ep or an album it gives you an idea of oh i think this one would be a good single to have from that album as a right, pre-promotion because yeah, if this many people call it their favorite surely this like a lot of the public will love that as a single especially in this market where I think, not sure if it's um, drum and bass exclusively. I mean, Henry, I'd like your thoughts, but especially in this industry, I think people prefer one-track releases, two-track releases due to the age of streaming. Yeah, I don't know. I think. I mean, I think. I think people consume music mm. differently, right? Like, I don't think it's so much the case that, like, you know, you'll put out an album and people will listen to that album start to finish. Like, I think people will cherry pick the tracks from a release mm. that they like and and just listen to those rather than listening to the whole thing. Um, I mean, old farts like me still like the the album mm. format. Yep. Still like listening to things front to back, but. Um, yeah, I think it definitely has changed it, but I don't know whether, like the stream of sort of like smaller quantity like i say you've got six tracks like i don't know if you get more impact releasing them as single tracks over six months or more impact as releasing them as one ep um i guess you're you're gonna hit different crowds i yeah, suppose I'd like to see some like, data. um i always feel like those slightly bigger releases where you can f- see more of like a story being told or like a cohesive theme like I think I pay more attention to mm-hmm. those because like singles are the kind of default. So as soon as somebody's doing something that's more than two or three tracks, I'm like, oh, okay, let's see what's mm-hmm. going on here. But I don't know if I'm representative. Right? No, I think yeah. it's like, I think uh, that's a more old school mentality when we were sort of around with like CDs, vinyls and stuff. You'd want to stick the thing on, sit back in your chair and just listen to the whole thing as a product or as a story. 
Yeah, and a physical form as well, right? I remember mm. like buying like old like new metal C- uh, CDs and stuff. Like those are the glory days, right? And then these days it's just yeah, you buy a digital version, or sometimes you don't even buy it; you just stream it on Spotify, and it's like mm-hmm. that magic of like the purchasing of the music or the kind of consuming of the music has surely kind yeah. of gone, really. Yeah, it, like the old the school magic, just, you know. <laughs> the way Hex is right. I mean, the way we consume music is it's very different than the way we've consumed it like even 10 years ago mm. very 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 different and most people they'll listen to the skank and bass promo that one tune off the album and then that's it that like they'll just listen to that album they'll go to the spotify maybe listen to a few other songs but it's like that one tune yeah like hack said it's cherry picked i think the le- the length of time that stuff lasts is way shorter as well yeah. like i remember like when i got into listening to and, and DJing drum and bass, like I would spend, you know, X amount of money every month on ordering records. Like, and once you had those records, like you would play them a whole bunch, mm-hmm. like, especially like, you know, maybe you'd get a couple of duds, but like, you know, the ones that, that really resonated with you, you would play and play and play and you would DJ them a whole bunch in different sets. And like, you would get to know those records quite well mm-hmm. and they'd stick in your head. So then like five years later, if you're digging on the shelf, so you'd be like, Oh, I haven't played that one in a while. Like, you know, th- there's a special, relationship with those pieces of music because you've played them more often um these days like you know there's so much music being released it's you know there's maybe only like one or two tracks that get released in a year that you're likely to have that same kind of relationship yeah. with where you keep going back to yeah, them because you'll notice labels a lot of the bigger labels there's not a big promotional campaign it's pretty well i won't say it's not big it's just quick it is a super quick promotional campaign and then bam here's the next tune see it a lot with labels like focus or you know just the bigger labels and nothing bad to them is just you know people pumping out music it's just that's just how it is you have shorter campaigns now yeah i mean i think i think even the the labels that do quite concerted campaigns because some labels do more promo than others right right right. no criticism to anyone there but like yeah i mean I'd say to take an example, like Dispatch did quite a lot of promo for their releases, but yeah, like you say, it's quite short, so it's kind of intense. Mm-hmm. Like you know, they'll they'll really push a release for two weeks, and then it'll be mm-hmm. on to the next one because yeah. they've got a busy release schedule. Um, and I feel like that must have stepped up as well. Like back when labels principally released vinyl, they weren't putting out new singles every two no, weeks, or most yeah. of them weren't at any rate. Like you couldn't afford it. I think they maybe could have afforded it because this was, I mean, like back in the day, labels could press and sell like 10,000 copies of a 12-inch single, right? Like, so I don't think it was necessarily money. I think it was more just like there are delays associated with actually getting the physical thing It's a fucking process. It is a pro. When you're dealing with physical media and only physical media, it's a process. I mean, we're getting the, we're getting the art ready. We're getting the cover ready to place your vinyl inside of. We're getting the vinyl ready. We're getting the sticker for the vinyl ready. It's a whole, it's a whole mm. thing. But that's what, as consumers, make us love that record so much. And, you know, people hang up their vinyls on the wall. Or yeah. Whatever. It's like a time investment. Yeah. It just reminds me of this. Um, I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading something that someone said that um, nobody remembers what their first digital download was, but everyone remembers what their first record they bought was. Yeah, very true. You Interesting. Know? Do you Interesting. guys remember your first records? 
Yeah. Well, I remember my first CD. <laughs> that counts. That counts. <laughs> my first CD was uh, it was the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And Rebels yours? Not... Uh, so I've got a few. I think the first the first tapes that I ever bought because I'm old enough to have cassette tapes in there. Like the first tapes I bought were um, Park Life by mm. Blur and What's the Story by Oasis. Oh shit! Because when I was when I was nine, that was, that Britpop <laughs> wave was the thing, right? Um, the first CD I ever bought was Version 2.0 by Garbage. Um, and the first record I ever bought would have been, um, I think it was Screamism Volume 3 um, from like uh, Temper Records when Dubstep was first a thing. Nice. See? Yeah, see, that in itself just proves that statement. I mean, can you remember your first digital download, guys? <laughs> I downloaded like 20 songs like as my first digital <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> especially with sites like um, like Beatport to... and stuff, you know, you just put add to cart, add to cart, add to cart, and then download in one swoop, right? So that connection is gone. Yeah. Convenience is sure. But... Yeah, I could. I'm totally racking my brains now. I can't think of what it would have been. I could tell you roughly what era it was. Because oh, like, yeah. I played, so I I I learned to DJ on vinyl and I bought loads of vinyl when I was first starting and then it would have been about 2012 or 2013 I moved at least partially to DJing digitally using vinyl control mm. so it would have been that kind of time that I first bought something off Beatport or something like that um, but even back then like I would default to trying to buy the vinyl and get the digital with it like you know and I it, but I definitely noticed, I guess it was a sort of 2014, 2015, that loads of stuff just started not getting a vinyl mm. press. Like there was that there was that distinct shift. And now it's like really only the bigger labels that do vinyl at all. It's, yeah, the, there's limited release vinyls now, which are, uh, it's, I don't know why, but it's like a special feeling seeing mm. limited release vinyls. Yeah, like a novelty almost, right? Yeah, yeah. I got, uh, we got a friend actually here that is getting two vinyl releases which is fucking badass and uh it's just but something that you said earlier you know i just wanted to add on like that some people want to see you do good but not better than them mm. i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> no no that makes sense that makes sense yeah yeah now with our friend here getting these two vinyl records i'm fucking happy man like it's so awesome seeing him progress dude I think as well with an artist that's smaller, like a smaller artist, seeing your tune on vinyl, whether you press it yourself mm -hmm. or the label makes the investment, I think that in itself is a bigger milestone in your career than landing that track on a massive platform. It is, man. It's Jack, by the way, gentlemen. It's all public information now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, just so you know, it's Jack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, but yeah, no... Just wanted to say it's it's amazing to see that shit, dude. Mm. I hope every single one of that happens to everybody here. If it hasn't already happened, that's awesome. Yeah, no, huge shouts to Jack on that one. Like, um, yeah, it's it's great to it's been great to watch his sort of production mm. progress over the last yeah. couple of years. And like, yeah, you know, the the vinyl releases are kind of it's that thing of like, oh, somebody believes in this enough 
to to risk yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a risk it is a like, big risk especially with like the kind of not smaller like, labels but the kind of medium labels you know mm. where um yeah. like you know it's obviously a much higher threshold to break even to have that belief i yeah. think is and i think it's really nice that it's not only big labels that are pressing things and even like smaller size labels are sort of they've got that respect towards vinyl in the sense of like let's try and have something on there i'll be interested to see how long that lasts because like i feel like most of the labels that even the smaller labels who they maybe don't press vinyl very often but they'll press it one every now and then i feel like it's probably people my age running those labels right Mm -hmm. like who have been like they remember being vinyl DJs and they still have that affinity to it. So I'm going to be interested to see in like 10 years if those labels that have been maybe running for five or six years at that point, whether the people running those are going to have the same kind of thing of like, oh, we want to put our vinyl release or whether by that point it'll be like the Spotify generation. What is this massive, (laughs) this black CD? What is this? I've never thought about it that way. That's a great point. You're absolutely right. We may, you know, with the younger generation, you know, younger artists becoming more prominent, uh, smaller labels becoming more prominent that are ran by younger people. Maybe you're you're barely ever gonna see vinyl in the future. Who knows? Mm. Because it's younger people don't always buy physical media now, and they've grown up in a digital age. I think it could be a little bit different though, because like vinyl's such a big part of this scene. I think it's That's always it. gonna be something that even if you're a kid and you don't and you're like or all this old technologies for boomers or whatever (laughs) there'll still be that whole connection to like wanting to get involved in the vinyl side of things because it's like the yeah the Mm. kind of origins of this of the music scene really yeah and i mean i guess if you look to some other scenes as well just to count on my own point like um I'm probably not so much within drum and bass, but there are definitely other scenes where like tapes have become a big thing again in the last five years or so hip-hop especially right yeah, yeah, hip hop, noise, yeah. uh, like some of the sort of weird sort of avant pop scenes, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, and yeah, like some of those kids are no way old enough to remember cassette tapes yeah. the yeah. first time around. So, like, have to ask their mom and yeah. dad, like, what is this? It's just we do have to think about the mass audience, though. Like, the mass audience is just going on their phone and going to Spotify. Oh yeah, phone no, speakers, sure. right? It, like that's that's it's a, it sucks to say it's like being a hardcore gamer right the hardcore gamer is like the quintessential gamer but that's not the mass audience the mass audience dude's going home maybe throwing in madden throwing in call of duty or some shit like that same yeah, thing with, with the mass audience of dmb they're gonna go to your bigger artists they're gonna go to spotify they're gonna they're gonna access their music as easily as they possibly can mm. but then again, I mean, yeah, vinyl, it is a novelty item. It may, it'll probably never go out of style, but you may see less of it, which I, sucks too. I think our DMB mass audience is different to our pop music mass audience, though. I think there are still, like, our general DMB audience is very much still one that, like, look, let me get some headphones so I can properly hear the bass. Still go on, like, the big channels and so, so on. But I feel like in this Maybe. scene, it's almost like phone speakers I look down on. It's a bit weird to say, but I think people would rather look, let me get my massive subwoofer and. Well, I mean, it's electronic music. I mean, mm, I, yeah, the average person isn't. They're gonna be like, no, I gotta hear the bass. You ain't gonna get that out of phone speaker. That's it. I think it, it. There's a fair point though that it varies a bit from style to style, right? Like, so like, you think about hip hop. Like, hip hop's made in a similar way to electronic sort of dance. Kind of is, where, like, yeah. Yeah, it's got big 
booming bass to it like it's got quite tight production but you're definitely still going to let get people listening mm-hmm. to that on phone speakers i think like i think because like you know you get those peaks and troughs with drum and bass where like it'll go up in popularity and there'll be like this point where like there's a big drum and bass single on like mainstream radio mm. or whatever and i think at that point you get that kind of engagement with people who maybe aren't as deep into the scene and they're maybe going to be playing it on whatever laptop or whatever they have right. to hand but then it, it kind of goes back down again out of that popularity spike and like the people who are still with it at that point are, like are paying more attention and they're going to listen to it in a different way D&B has always been that way, really, like in and out of popularity with yeah. at least the, the general audience. Of course, you have your quote unquote D&B heads like us that are always listening to it. But to the mainstream audience, it's I mean, if you, I, I still even if I ask like an average music listener what D&B is, they'll say either that most of the time it's no. But if it is a yes, they're thinking about something totally different. Mm. Of course, for you, David, that counts as being yeah. part like of an american audience where that's probably yeah the I general mean, public is the big european culture part is part of the big european culture yeah like i'm sure some of the general public might probably think it's just fast dubstep yeah we got techno though that's cool right <laughs> yeah, yeah of course of course <laughs> <laughs> oh so so just to go off on that little tangent like how how's the what, what's your impression of the techno knowledge in america because like i'm always fascinated by techno in terms of the fact that it's like obviously started in detroit right same way house started in chicago but then like it, it really kind of like it feels like with techno like germany in particular and europe kind of really ran with yeah. it so like yeah, yeah i'm interested like yeah. how much the americans are still on top of that i mean techno is still a thing it's definitely st- well, shit, man. I, I can't lie. I'm not very well versed in the techno scene. I mean, in electronic music, I mean, techno is not what techno was in the 80s. Techno was, we were calling electronic music in the 80s techno music, but it's not techno as we know it now. People would call things like Blue Monday, like New Order, like, oh, that's some pretty good techno. Like, you'd hear that in the clubs in, the, in like 86 or 85 or something like that. Um, nowadays, techno is like, it's a stretched ass kick. That's your bass, and then it's like a four-on-the-floor beat, man. It's completely different than what you would have heard back in the day. But in Europe, it was taken a step further to that four-on-the-floor kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, I started to hear, you know, people say Detroit, Michigan. That's like your, it's industrial, you know. It's a lot of warehouses, empty shit going on there. Uh, very industrial. But I'm not sure why it gravitated towards uh, towards Europe like heavily like i don't know why techno is like or edm in general is like we look at it as a european thing but i mean it's not unfounded i mean a lot of yeah. good electronic bands came from places like europe we had like hip-hop over here that was our thing yeah i mean for for me the the True. edm wave i hate that term but it, it does kind of it, it refers to a specific kind of subset of that music like for me that was right it's, right it's interesting to hear you saying that that's kind of a european thing for me it always felt like that was people going oh if we take these aspects of dance music which is maybe the european influence and we blend them with these aspects of mainstream american hip-hop then we're gonna have this like chart busting edm style like that's that's what that's what it felt like to me but like Mm. 
Another thing is, is that a lot of big electronic artists that you hear of, like David Guetta and all them, you know, like it's it's ran by a lot of people who not are always American. You know, it, you got st people like Steve Aoki, guys like them that are American, but a lot of guys are, you know, it's you hear of a lot of European guys running and nothing to them. I mean, they, they make really good fucking music. So at least that's how I see it over here, your top 40s and all that. But top 40s over here ain't electronic music. It's like pop. Interesting to see how different the perspective is between us in the UK and Damien in the US, actually. But I mean, I'm just one. I'm just one person, and again, I'm not as knowledgeable in just a general electronic music history. No, Damien, you're you're the yeah, spokesman of yeah, all America. I'm the leader. I mean, I just yeah, techno over here is a big thing, though. Mm. I mean, that was something interesting to watch, actually, like just the growth of techno in general, like because um, so I, I don't know uh, if you guys know this or not, but like uh, I've lived in Glasgow for the last uh, 15 years nearly. Um, and Glasgow is a big techno city. Like um, like when I first moved here, techno was very much the kind of prevalent sound that you would hear in clubs. And this was at a point when techno wasn't prevalent in many places. Like, So it's been interesting for me to watch it go from a point where techno was like Glasgow, Berlin, Barcelona, Detroit maybe a bit in london because london has everything to a point where like techno is everywhere like techno and, and tech house like are now just this worldwide phenomenon that you hear in like every club in every major city so like yeah that's that's been interesting to watch and i don't know what caused it but yeah mm. i mean bring it to glasgow quickly like i'm curious to know what dmb's like over there because um I was speaking to Ron, who's based near Fife, and he was telling me that DMB really isn't much of a thing where he is. Uh, for those listening, Ron is the co-founder of Detached. And we we were just talking about that, and he said, yeah, if you really want to do something DMB, you have to go to Glasgow. And I was wondering, is Glasgow the only hot spot for Scotland? or? No, not really. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say it's a hot spot at all. Like, um, <laughs> Like... So you've got He's little wrong, pockets. <laughs> you've got little pockets of DMB. So um, I think the biggest scene in terms of club nights, at least, is in Edinburgh. Um, Edinburgh is the the one place where you can expect to see kind of like DMB headliners booked. Um, but it's fueled largely by the student population. You get quite a lot of English students in Edinburgh, and like they they're mm -hmm. kind of they have that clamour for that kind of music. Um, presumably because they're already exposed to it back in London or Leeds or, you know, places that have solid scenes. Um, Glasgow has small pocket of it. Like uh, the people that do like it are really dedicated to it, but it's not big crowds. And most of the sort of bigger, even underground clubs are not that interested in it because it's just not really a moneymaker. Um, interestingly, there's a pretty small but thriving scene in Aberdeen. Um, like, uh, yeah, like basically off the back of one guy big up tez tez at jungle nation has been flying that flag for like 22 years or something like that like you know booking wow. booking headliners in aberdeen um yeah punches above its weight for, for a relatively small city um and yeah you've got little pockets in like there's a dumb freeze massive out in the countryside who are big into it there's people in like perth there's people in dundee um so yeah there's there's little pockets, but it's not, it's not big. There's not like, if you compare it to, I mean, we'll compare anything to London. Right. But like, even compared to like mm. Leeds, Manchester, yeah, it's, I'd say Scotland has less. Like, 
mm. less, but they're dedicated essentially. Yeah. I just want to quickly jump in back to the techno thing. I know we're probably past <laughs> that, <laughs> but I just I looked it up real quick. I looked it up on Wikipedia, so you know we can't always trust Wikipedia. <laughs> Uh, so I guess so. So it looks like the term a techno was originated in like the early '80s in Germany. Hmm. Oh. But Detroit-style techno, I guess the techno as we know it, is uh, it was like a melding of like I guess synth pop and like you know music like funk things like that. And then you would have your science fiction themes that techno would be related around shit like uh, like based off of books like in like relevant to life and. American capitalist societies, shit like that. Like 1984, even though I think that was British, wasn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's, that's a little well, that kind of thing, right? I just want to throw that out there. Just because, uh, I don't know, it had my mind going. No, it's cool <laughs> yeah. to get a bit of context to it all. This is the part where, like, you know, some of the Think Breaks listeners are like, actually techno heads are just why like, are they talking about techno like, yeah <laughs> absolutely infuriated well, i'll be like well we got to know where we came from right yeah, exactly techno is like the granddaddy for sure man for sure yeah i mean the it looked like the groundwork was established in like the 70s with artists like Kraftwerk. Mm. oh of course Kraftwerk. yeah yeah, yeah you of know course, of course. using those early synths yeah so here's a question actually since we're on about the past and Obviously, Henry, you've got quite a lot of connections with big names, small names, medium names, what have you. And since you've been um, doing DMV Dojo for eight years, you've probably seen a lot of trends come into population or go down, right? This might be a tricky question, but what do you think is the future? Oof, oh man, nobody can answer that. Like, Karen, damn you, I was going to ask this. <laughs> Um, question stealing love it um oh man that's that's such a tough question to answer like well why i got another one for you uh, maybe an easy i got an easier one it's still in the same vein but i still want to hear the answer to that one. Oh god but yeah. what has been your favorite trend and your least favorite trend in oh, the so i guess my my favorite trend probably was the point um must have been about the fog horn was interesting <laughs> <laughs> that's it it's because we're exiting that era right now and that's a weird yeah, my, <laughs> yeah. no my favorite trend would have been it must have been about five six years ago when footwork started to become a thing mm, and yes. i like when i first heard the footwork sound i wasn't massively on it because i was like oh well this has some stuff that i like but it's like slightly too angular like it doesn't have that roll to it like mm. so the thing mm. that i found really really interesting was like uh, off the back of the footwork trend people like Omunit and Fracture yeah. and all of that scene started doing that kind of hybrid where it was like drum and bass crossed with footwork like or jungle yeah, jungly footwork, footwork yeah. Right. yeah and it had like it had that kind of like funk and bounce and roll but it had those like weird beat structures to it like i i could not get enough of that sound at the time and i still like hearing it like so yeah that's that's just probably a, just a quick little shout out to an artist i know who does that exact sound or very much used to uh samurai breaks yes yes he's a sick head <laughs> should uh should we explain really quick just what footwork is just for people that may oh here we is with wikipedia yeah, yeah, that's because they're gonna, they're like footwork. Well, well I mean, as, as our resident American, you should explain it, right? Yeah, true. I, I 
Well, honestly, I don't even fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damon is actually it asking for like, himself there. <laughs> yes, yeah, I was trying not to make it up. <laughs> Damon's just there like, um, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> so I guess, um, well, I'll give it a shot. Is it like a halftime kind it's, of dealia? Like, it's another Chicago influence yeah, thing, isn't it? Yeah, it came Chicago out of Chicago. Influence. It was like, there was two streams of it. It was like huh. Duke and Footwork. And Duke was kind of like, um, Duke was influenced by like Baltimore bass and the kind of like booty house, like loads of really ridiculous samples, you know, sort of like pumped that ass, pumped that ass sort of stuff. Like yeah, kind of like, ghetto, yeah, ghetto house yeah, yeah, ghetto nine. sampling, but like faster than the ghetto house and booty bass stuff. So it, like it's up at 160. And then footwork yeah, was yeah. kind of like the serious cousin of it where it was like, yeah, it's got it's got like odd beat structures to it quite repetitive snares and stuff like that like but it's up at jungle tempo and it was that little bit deeper and i remember reading interviews at the time when that stuff blew up and the producers were like oh we thought duke would be the thing that would take off but duke died after like a year and footwork really went places and they were like oh but this mm. is the weird deep shit that we didn't think anyone would listen to like mm. um but yeah it's got i i that's it's hard to describe. I can't really do it justice. But if you go and check out people like, uh, check out the Tech Life label, check out uh, DJ Rashad, DJ Spin, um, mm. like uh, recently Hyperdub in London have put out a lot of footwork influence stuff. Like, so yeah, do do some digging. It's, it's an interesting sound. I mean, yes, for my friend listening, please check out those labels. <laughs> um, not I mean, guys, <laughs> guys like Fricture, uh, not Fricture, Fixate, Stray, those kind of guys also did acquire a fair few bits that are really cool. There was a tune that I really yeah, like okay. by Stray called LA Zoom, I think it was. Yes, that's quite yes, a, yes, yes. That's quite a good example of footwork, LA Zoom by Stray. Um, but that's, is, it, is that the, that's the kind of jungle infused footwork, right? Not the classic old school footwork. Yeah, like Stray yeah, was one of that wave of artists. Yeah, that was that was being influenced by it. Like, I've probably heard the style before. I just don't know the name. Stray stuff is more like the gateway, essentially the gateway into more like footwork influence footwork. If that makes sense. For some reason, Diablo or from Dub Physics comes into mind, but I don't know. I don't think that's footwork. Or is it's, that it's, footwork? again? That's like is... Dub Physics was one of those producers that was influenced by that sound. Like you know. Okay. Okay. So. I'm in yeah, the right vein. Yeah, yeah, you're in the, you're in the right, right vein. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's so that would be my probably my favorite little trend. Um, I guess my my least, least favorite. favorite. So I'm not gonna oh, rag yes. on foghorns as, as easy as that would be. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, okay. Just, so just because I feel like enough people have made that argument already, right? Like you either like foghorns or you don't, right? Like, and and I. All right, yeah, I, it's redundant. I'm not we a get chief it. foghorn hater either. Like, I think when it's done well, it's good. I think it, it is over. Yeah, it is so overplayed. Right. right. Well, I think, I think there's most people was like, it was just like, why is there so much of it? Because there was so much of it that it was just a lot of it was. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the inevitability of like you know a, a sound right, that comes yeah. out and is quite quite different. That's true. I, I mean, I, th I think particularly like when foghorns first landed, it was like mainstream as as far as the drum and bass scene goes like dance floor rollers like big room sound but it was quite quarter pound yeah, of yeah, bass but it was quarter pound <laughs> quite different to yeah. it was different to like you know the viper sound it was different to the mainstream mm. jump up sound it was different it, to yeah. like the neuro sound like all of that mm -hmm. stuff 
Um, like, so, you know, people were just like, oh shit, what's this? And then of course everyone jumps on it and copycats it. And like, yeah, I mean, for me, like Serum and Benny L were the kings of that sound and nobody else really yeah, touches them. So it's it. that thing of exactly. like, uh, you know, uh, fair play to them because they do it well, but everybody else maybe, you know, I mean, I, mean, I think there's a similar right. thing. Everyone else fecker. <laughs> hey, no, those, those are not my words. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's a similar thing that goes on with like, um, so like, yeah, Alex Perez sort of stripped back 1985 mm. music sound. Like him and a few other producers can do that like stark, minimal, absolute slappers. And other people... Yeah try and imitate that sound and just can't quite hit it like i think there's a similar thing that happens there where there's there's like an awful lot of stuff kicking about now that's that sort of gritty minimalist sound that like does it's just like it's it's a slightly pale imitation you know that's it um, yeah yeah but but i mean i guess in terms of the the thing that uh, my least favorite trend i think it's the the path of the neuro scene because um, like mm. my path into drum and bass was was chiefly through old neuro like old vision old lifted music old subtitles like you know those kind of labels mm. back in like 20 2009 2010 and back then i think a combination of like the way that sampling was being done there was still quite a lot of funk breaks in use and like the level of production technology we had everything was still slightly rough around the edges like i think over time the technology's got better and better and some of the sampling styles have changed and we've ended up with stuff that's too clean. It's like too precise. You've got yeah. very synthetic snare sounds, which I'm not a big fan of. Like and Drums all, all round, really, isn't it? Yes. It's super surgical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of sound design. Yeah, and I mean, like, the technical aspect of it is super impressive, Like, but I just find mm. it leaves me a bit cold. Like, I want that kind of, like, analog dirt, that scuzz, the imperfections in the sound. <sighs> yeah. I, I say it time yeah. and time again, but music's about the imperfections, man. Like, that is what people have been drawn to music mm -hmm. by, man. Like, jazz wouldn't be a thing without imperfection in music so mm. to, try to, to try and achieve this super clean super perfect sound is almost to me a bit counterproductive really yeah yeah, yeah so exactly i came into i came into dmb during that 2015 2014 era uh guys like audio were king mm. guys mm. like emperor mephis they they were like kings at their craft that's what i started djing and uh it, like I could never produce anything like that because it's way too surgical for me. It's way too sound design oriented. But I do got to admit, there's something about, especially that Eat Brain sound. It's one of my favorite DMB labels. It's just something about it that I came from a metal background, an industrial background. Right, yeah. And it, it, it like fits, it, fits everything that i'm looking for in like really hardcore dmb like that heavy metal i can bang my head to i can mosh that shit i love seeing that at raves man at warehouse shows some of the warehouse shows that i've been that have been like calyx and tb like that neuro funk like dark step style that 2015 style mm. it, it was badass seeing people just fucking going nuts like that well, like almost borderline windmilling mosh. and shit <laughs> see that's the yeah, classic american like... take on dmb right there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like DMB is like the death metal of the metal. It's, it's interesting you say that. <laughs> or like, yeah, I came to DMB from like a kind of metal and hip hop background. Like I used to listen to a lot of metal when I was a teenager. And yeah, like I think that dark drum and bass has that kind of metal energy to it. Like, mm, um, I think for me, 
you know, not to rag on any of this stuff in the slightest, because like, you right, know, I mean, right. like Eat Brain put out one of my favorite albums last year, the Gaidra LP. That was that was a sick one. Like, yes, um, dude. Oh my so, god. So you know, I think when it's done well, it can it can still be really good. But like, That's the it. neuro scene has gotten quite oversaturated, and I think like you know, it, it's yeah it's it's some of it not all of it but some of it is losing that funk like for me i think it was it was all about the combination of like that kind of like heavy sound the big bass lines the quite kind of you know dark Mm. and aggressive sounds but still with that edge of funk to it and i think if it gets too robotic and too clinical then you lose that that precious ingredient you don't hear that term a lot these days yeah i mean it was called neurofunk for a reason Yeah, yeah yeah But you don't hear people say neurofunk as no. much these days, right? And just neuro. You just hear them say, just hear them say That's neuro. probably yeah, like neuro, a reason why neuro. it's kind of gone down that angle as well, you know, almost in a weird way. Taking like, out the funk, yeah. Yeah, people forgetting the funk, you know? I think the problem with most DMB, there's so many sub like genres to yeah. DMB. It's like you don't even know at a certain point what in the hell is what. There's so many sub genres that neuro... aren't even labeled now as well, really, when you <laughs> look into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah neurofunk has like, like so much underneath it that it's not just like neuro. I guess that's why they just call it neuro now. Mm. Cause it's yeah. like, well, what the hell do we call yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. True. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, subgenre naming is kind of like, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's peak music geekery, right? Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's only, exactly. it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's only really yeah. useful to people like us who like pay way too much attention to the detail of, of one genre of music. Like, you know, it's like, Nobody outside of the DMB scene gives gives a flying fuck whether you're shit, listening they, yeah. to jazz step or halftime. No, like, you know. <laughs> jazz step, holy fuck! <laughs> Avant garde rollers and whatever. Um, well, uh, we are coming to the end of the show, but we never no, got no, that one question yeah, done. Thank you, David. I was going to go into that. We never got that done. So, what was the, the what future? Was the one oh, the future. Oh man, fucking hell! Like, oh god, damn um, the future. I forgot about this one. Yeah, you thought you could escape. This is the one. <laughs> it's going to be liquid fog and yeah. horn infused jazz DMB. I mean, yeah, it's it's so hard to predict, isn't it? It's like you know, I mean, let's think mm. about the the things that I've seen come through. So yeah, there's been the footwork thing that's happened. There's been like the way the neuro scene has gone. There's been like the halftime sound that's come come through in a big way, like you know that kind of really hip hoppy stuff. Um, I mean, in terms of, I guess in terms of what's big, like not necessarily because I mean, like the footwork sound was big for me, but I don't think it was big. It, like it had a following, but it, no, wasn't, it wasn't like you know Viper mm-hmm. was suddenly putting out footwork influence stuff. So I guess it'll be interesting to see like what replaces Foghorn. Yeah, um, and I guess like boat ships. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, I want to bring this up in the afterthought. So let's. Uh... Oh, yeah. that's even if you're talking about the same thing I'm talking about, you know. But anyway, it segues on nicely. But anyway, I, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm going to fail abysmally to really give you an answer. Like something, something that's will be fair, big. Man. Like... Because DMB's in a pocket right now. We don't know where it's going to go. We just no. kind of got done with the foghorn, yeah. uh, like the spark of it. And everything is dying down again. Kind of like how you talked about early. DMB will go up and then it'll go down. Then it'll be talked about again. I honestly... Don't know where the hell DMB is going to go. What I find quite interesting is thinking, like, I wonder who's going to take it there, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, who will be the person to make that big kind of change? Because obviously, like we said, it was like you, mainly Toby, Serum you. and Benny L, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no it, won't, it won't be. Let, 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 no, it won't be. Live DMB? I don't, yeah, I don't nah, know. Nah, live DMB has no, always been a thing. 
on the periphery, but it doesn't. It's just not popular. Yeah, it's it's never really gone up there. No, it's it's not. It's something I've been practicing on the drums and. I mean, I've I've seen a couple of live performances. I remember seeing. Oh, it was like, I think it was Ray Keith and Blade Runner and some other people doing live D&B at a festival. Like, so they had like somebody on drums, a couple of people on keys and a live vocalist. Like, and it was cool. Mm. It was neat to see it constructed that way. But like, I think the thing that makes drum and bass what it is, is like the punch on the drums. And you just can't get that out of a live kit. Like, If if you're looking for that punch on the drums, you're going to want to look up Jojo Meyer. That dude is a revolutionary when it comes to playing uh, jungle or DMB on a uh, drum kit. He helped develop the sonar jungle oh, nice. kit. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, the, that's an amazing little portable drum kit. But he has nailed down the sound of, he can play almost any break at even faster than 174 for a consistent period of time. Uh, okay. It, 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 he's my favorite drummer, and I think he's. If people are looking for that live drum and bass fix he's the person you need to look up or if you think that it could never ever be something if there's anyone that thinks that i think that it could be something if there's just no push for it. nobody i i like to think in my head that it'd be cool to have this setup of like an acoustic drum kit and then an electronic drum kit somebody on a bass guitar with some pedals that make it sound like a subby synth well- and then somebody mm. on like a key. So or I mean that, just, that, but it's not that the has same been done, thing, right? Like so, I mean, let's shout out the the the, the biggest live drummer in drum and bass, KJ Salka. Like, um, yep. so yeah, he started with that idea with Pendulum, and then yeah. like uh, they took it to the kind of extreme with um, that group uh, in America. Was it Destroyed? It was like Excisions live. Group. Oh yeah. Like so they oh, had. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah Excision and the Yeah, yeah. So he was live drumming for them, but it was all rooted through synthetic drums. So he was hitting pads to make it happen. But as far as I understand it, it was that right, massive, right. like compressed as hell, slappity fuck. Yeah, triggering yeah, yeah. samples. Yeah. Um, so it so it it can be yeah, done, that's... but like, but I mean, I think at that point it's like what are you gaining by having a live drummer when it's all just triggering samples anyway? Like it's, you've got a, there's a show element to it, I suppose. But like in terms of the sound, it's still hyper-produced. It's not. Well, a lot of those live events of like literal live DMB, it, I think the problem is I don't see a lot of the audience moving. They're there to watch the spectacle of the act because it is insanely hard to play live, Mm. especially consistent. So I think that's what people go to see those live shows for. They, I would like, in my head, I'd like to think that they're not even really paying attention to the band. They're just dancing, and the band is just jamming out, and they're just consistent. It's like a mix. The, the drummer is just changing the beat every now and then, and then the bassist will change into a, another key, and it just keeps going. But, I mean, it, it's just unfortunately not like that. Yeah. It sucks. I would like to see that. Yeah. One day. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. I've failed to answer the question of what's going to be next, but, like, yeah. It's fair. It was, a hard, it was a hard one. <laughs> it, was it was a, a very hard, hard question, to be fair. I, I don't think anybody really I, knows I don't think right any, now. Yeah, we weren't, no. we weren't expecting an actual uh, constructed answer, really. <laughs> <laughs> but this does put us... Um, it's now the end of the show, actually. Uh, I see our hour has gone by very quickly. Um, before we wrap up, though, uh, Henry, would you like to tell listeners of Think Breaks who might not know where to find you, where to find yourself, DMB Dojo, for example? Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, you can find the blog at www.dmbdojo.co.uk, uh, and you can find us on SoundCloud, Instagram, all those places at DNB Dojo. 
Um, you can find my stuff. Uh, I'm at DJ Hex DNB on most socials, and I'm uh, at DJ Dash Hex on SoundCloud. So, yeah. Okay. There you have it, gentlemen. And um, any Ladies forthcoming and music you'd like to plug, collaborations, remixes, solo releases, etc. I, that you can talk about of course i have a solo release coming end of february mm. uh, i don't know how much i'm allowed to say about that yet but promo will be going out uh, okay soon. okay well, um stay tuned yeah yeah listeners. i'm pretty excited yeah. about that one actually it's um uh, it's it's halftime stuff it's kind of like halftime hip-hop influence beats uh, it's a six-track mm. ep it's coming oh, out yeah. with that's it's coming out with though. a label that I'm a big fan of um, and that I've been connected to for a while. So, yeah, I look forward to shouting about that pretty soon. Congratulations, nice, man. man. Nice. Any other bits? Uh, Shout-outs? I mean, uh, Shout-outs to the Scottish crew, um, uh, my Symbiosis gang, mm-hmm. who I run the club night with up here. So shout-outs to Jules, Stu, and Neil if they're listening in. Um, yeah, shout-outs to everybody else in the Scottish scene and shout-outs to everybody who sends me music, really. Um, yeah, big up. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. And just to wrap up bits on the show, um, so as you heard at the start of the show, we are now on Patreon. Patreon.com slash thinkbreaks. You might have heard Toby mention something called The Afterthought. That is a Patreon exclusive show where us, alongside our guests, so in this case Hex, will just shoot the hay for a while. Um, So that should be good fun. We have no idea what we're going to talk about as I say this, so... We'll find out in about that. Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm scared. <laughs> we have to see you over there. But yeah, um, if you'd like to become a Patreon, uh, it's patreon.com slash thinkbreaks. And no matter what you donate, that you'll get access to all of our bonus shows, including The Afterthought, a off-topic show called Think Outside the Box. And you'll get the chance to ask questions to whoever we may have as guests in the future. Um, other bits, if How you've enjoyed... That, eh? Yeah, no, lots of goodies. If you've enjoyed this show and would like to leave a review, go over to podchaser.com slash thinkbreakspodcast. Uh, give a rating on the show or even this episode in particular if you enjoyed it, if you want to recommend it to your friends. And to find us on any of the socials, we have a website. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, if you want to find us on our website with a link to every single episode, download links and all of our socials, thinkbreaks.com. That's thinkbreaks.com. Easy as that. Um, but until then, we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Peace. Cheers, Peace out. Cheers. Bye, Kabasi.